Hello and welcome to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. Today we'll be talking about the Banner Restricted update, playing aggro control and vintage without its signature color, the upcoming Team Serious Open, and Serious Food and Drink takes on making cocktails. We're here with Jake Hilty. He's a friend of ours from the Cleveland area. Uh, he's also a, a new writer on manadeprived.com. He's an eternal writer there, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk to him a little bit about non-blue aggro control and vintage. He uh, played that before and done pretty well with it, so we thought it'd be interesting to get some of his opinions and some of his strategies. But first, we're going to talk about Bannon Restricted List update. Nothing happened in vintage, which uh, I think is almost par for the course right now, right? I think that nothing happening in Vintage is generally par for the course all the time, regardless of whether it's a good idea or not. Fair enough. But I, I think that we are in agreement, though, that this was probably a pretty good idea on not making any changes, at least any attempts to balance the current metagame using a restriction. Yeah, the, the metagame seemed pretty balanced. Obviously, people were talking about wanting to bring down shops a little bit, but I, I have to agree with Tuan that shops has not been really at the top level with the tier one decks in a while and i think that it is right now and that's probably i mean it's it's shops time to be there yeah that's fair enough i also would say that if you're in ohio and you don't think that shops is dominating it's probably not too bad right <laughs> <laughs> yeah ohio is pretty much workshop central still yeah certainly it can be beaten and certainly it you know it doesn't win every tso or anything or very many of them at all uh, do you guys have problems playing against shops? I mean, I playing against it, I'm not necessarily worried. Like, I'm, I feel prepared for it, and then if I win or lose, it's usually based on a, a fairly decent back-and-forth game, I think. I feel like if I build a deck that has good game against shops, the generic shops, I find that I'm actually writing off one flavor of shops. So I, I built a deck that I felt performed pretty well against the, the traditional mud aggro um, uh -huh. shops. And I was testing it against Tuan's Espresso Stacks that has smoke stacks and, and all of that really grindy control stuff. And it was just absolutely murdering me. And in trying to tune against that, I was losing game against the more aggro shops. So I think that shops is certainly beatable, but there are also a lot of different ways that it can come at you, which makes it fairly flexible and tough to say, my deck is good against shops. Oh, that's, yeah, but enough. that's an interesting point. But it's also a little bit unfair to say, I think, that uh, if you're not... I mean, so, sure, you can have problems with one of the flavors of shops, but shops in general uh, is kind of a weird category, right? It encompasses aggro, control, combo. It's weird in another format for a deck to be good against all of those different things. It just so happens that these cards happen to run four Lodestone Golem and four Mishra's Workshop, but other than that, a lot of the cards are different. Yeah. So it's, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say, oh, well, they're all the same deck. They certainly, I mean, they're part of the same uh, pillar, if you want to use that kind of vintage vernacular. But I don't, I don't think it's, like, crazy to think that you would have a bad matchup, say, against aggro shops if you were good against stacks and, yeah. you know, Forge Master combo or whatever. Right. Yeah. As long as you can get rid of artifacts, you can do pretty well. I mean, heck, two-card Monty in many versions runs four workshops and four lodestone golems, but we don't lump that in the same way. So I, I don't know, it's a little bit hard to say. I mean, to call shops like one archetype is, is very unfair to what shops is able to do, I think. Right, and it's probably, it's probably more that workshops has gone from being a 
<clears throat> sort of one-trick pony to the level where blue is, where you have this base number of cards that show up in a lot of different decks, but there's a variety of things that come of that. I mean, you can play aggro shops, you can play prison shops, you can play combo shops, and all of them are pretty good right now. Yeah, and that seems perfectly okay <laughs> to me. Right. I would agree with that. <laughs> I think that we were talking a little bit earlier, um, the idea that we wouldn't have restricted anything doesn't uh, eliminate the possibility that we wouldn't mind seeing something unrestricted. Right. Um, like, Vintage isn't in such a situation where things are so stable, we want to keep them in that stable position forever. Like, I don't think it would have been a bad idea if we had seen something, one of the one of the lower power restricted cars to be unrestricted. Cause, and I think that list, there, there are some decent candidates on that list. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with them being a little bit more experimental as far as the restricted list goes. And I think it would have been interesting to see something like Thirst come back or Gifts. I mean, I know that <laughs> people complain about the power level of those and what they would do, but, uh, you know, I think it's fine every once in a while to see what they would do and actually try them out. It's it's fine enough to speculate, but, you know, yeah, I think let's that, see what happens. I think that Wizards is afraid of making a mistake. I'm, I think they're afraid of jeopardizing their credibility with players, and let's be honest, they don't have any credibility left with vintage players <laughs> anyway. But, but I think that they're really afraid of making that mistake and having to take something back, but I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't mind it. I mean, the other thing, too, is, and I don't know if this is a general feeling for everybody, but it sort of seems to be that we want ban lists or restricted lists to be as small as they can be. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, without having something dominating, obviously. So I think that's where a lot of the call, at least in, you know, in Legacy, and I think in Vintage, too, comes from when we, when we want to have specific cards unrestricted. Right. Because why, you know, why cut off a card that could be fun to play, even if it's, you know, maybe not that good? Right. As uh, some writer said about Vintage at one point, like when you ban a card from Vintage, you're really cutting it off from playing Magic at all. And when you restrict a card that's not a super high power level, I mean, you are kind of relegating it to not being played at all. Yeah, that's true. Right. There are a bunch of cards on there that can't be played as one-ofs, but as four-ofs would be quite good. Possibly format warping, but possibly creating a decent deck all their own around that, right. that engine. So. But I, I don't know to what extent you guys want to get into the unrestricting business. I, I think that that's a subject that's been gone over many yeah. times, so we yeah. probably don't need to, to really get into it. I that's think it's fair. Just, it's just safe to say, no changes, cool with it. Could have shaken things up a little bit, didn't, not going to get upset about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more happy that they didn't restrict anything than I am upset that they didn't unrestrict anything. Agreed. Yeah, definitely, definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, things that are not restricted, <laughs> um, let, let's go on to the next topic of non-blue aggro control in Vintage. So we're talking about decks like Jund, we're talking Naya aggro, red-green beats, uh, I guess we would even cover things like Dark Times. So do we get to play any really cool restricted cards that we normally don't get to play in blue, but we get to play in these other colors? Generally, no. Um, <laughs> you, you, um, you don't um, want balance in your aggro deck? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there are scenarios where there are cards like that that you might want to play, but in my experience, no, we don't play any cards on the, on the... or any cards that you wouldn't normally play that are on the restricted list. Looking at some of your decks, do you have restricted cards? I guess you'd have a strip mine. You have strip mine. Uh, Generally, you run the on-color Moxin or some of the on-color Moxin, and you run okay, Black right. Lotus. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, Black Lotus is is good in vintage. Right? I mean, like, there's no there's <laughs> no deck where you're gonna say, you know, 
Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Tuan might listen to this. But there are very few decks where you will say, uh, you know, Black Lotus, that card seems pretty bad. I don't think that I want that one. Yeah. Yeah. Three free mana, even as a one-shot, is pretty good. Yeah. For a deck like one of the aggro decks that I've played, that usually translates, that three mana usually translates to two lock pieces on turn one. Yeah, it's like two. a time walk, right? Oh yeah, it's it's so I mean it's so strong that you get to play two things on turn one because generally you're pretty behind the other right. the other decks or I mean you you can feel like you're playing from behind even though you have some powerful plays of your own. Right. Let's sort of start at the beginning. What's uh if you're if you're building a a non-blue aggro control deck, what's your goal? How how do you think about it from a strategic point of view? Well, so my general step has been to look at the things that <laughs> basically you didn't want to have happen in fish um a long time ago or didn't don't want to happen to you kind of regularly by big blue decks so in this case that's casting tinker for blightseal colossus which okay. traditionally has been a bad thing for aggro decks or getting a fast kind of combo out cuz things like counter spells whatever you don't care that much about the counter spells right. what are they going to counter one of your many 2/2 two, two creatures for two <laughs> one of your many redundant creatures yeah so, I mean, that is one thing that's nice about these decks, but the things that you have to look at are those kind of constraining factors. And I think those tend to be, from blue decks, Tinker, and there's an extent to which you can say just having the Time Vault combo somewhere in the in the 60 okay. is, is a constraint, just because it's very easy to win out of nowhere. And then from the stats decks, it's just kind of their explosiveness. So the ways that you can kind of constrain those things, because your card's... You don't see as many cards as the other decks do other than shots. You have to kind of pick answers that can answer more than one of those things at once. Your cards okay. have to do double duty a lot of the time. And what that means is we play things like, well, we used to play Null Rod, and now we have Stony Silence if we're playing White, because that equalizes the playing field and it answers a lot of different pieces. We also play things like Graph Digger's Cage, because they have a lot of value against a lot of different things, especially Tinker. Sure. Are you even playing, like, some Graph Digger's Cage's main? Oh, I play three Graph Digger's Cages main in That's almost cool. every build that I do. Hmm. It's actually kind of funny. I didn't make the deck with Dredge in mind. I was thinking more about Blue and some of the flavors of Workshops. But I was surprised by how good my Game 1s against Dredge had been with this deck. Because you have three Graph Digger's Cages and because you have Pitting Needles and creatures that can sacrifice themselves. I mean, you have a lot of ways to kind of interact with those decks, whereas many Vintage decks don't have that on turn I mean in game one against Dredge. Sure. Yeah. We're looking at your white, red, green aggro control, not mm-hmm. aggro. And you have, among other things, four swords to plowshares, two lightning bolts, three stony silence, three graft diggers cage, and three pithing needles as your non creatures. And I mean graft diggers cage and pithing needle are both really, really good against Dredge. Yeah, and I mean even lightning bolt is not bad because <laughs> yeah, you sure. have so many creatures and like killing their bridges is a big step toward winning the game. Right. Plus, if you swords their dudes, they don't get to go to the graveyard. That's true. Although swords is usually one of the first cuts when you're sideboarding. Yeah, yeah. Makes, sure. makes sense. But at least you might get some. Oh yeah, absolutely. In the first in the first game. We also, and this is sort of a funny thing, but we have some creatures that kind of match up well. And this is an interesting list. It does not have Tarmogoyf in it. Sure. And I've had Tarmogoyf in various lists before, but in my experience, Tarmogoyf's not actually that good against any of the decks that aren't other creature decks. Uh-huh. And because it doesn't do anything to disrupt. Yeah, just it doesn't do anything, and it's nice to be able to close out a game, but if you ever have to play something on turn two and it and it's Tarmogoyf, you're just not going to win. Uh-huh. You need all of your guys to do more work than that. Right. And so what I was going to say about like the Dredge matchup then is that our kind of replacement for that is Porcelain Legionnaire. Okay. Um, 
seems a little bit silly, but it does attack for three, which is, you know, kind of a big deal for this deck because it doesn't have many creatures that can attack for more than two. But also because in addition to being a beater and being able to kind of, you know, first strike guys, hopefully when, if you're playing dredge, they don't have bridges in the board, but it matches up really well with Lodestone Golem. Yeah. Okay, yeah, in the shop matchup, sure. And you'd much rather have a card that matches up well with Lodestone Golem than a card like Tarmogoyf, which sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. Right. But is always hard to cast. I imagine that Porcelain Legionnaire shreds other dude decks even better than Tarmogoyf does. I remember yeah. Hazard, I think it was Hazard, playing against Wizards, uh, playing playing Wizards, and Porcelain playing Wizards, and he... I was playing Wizards. And you went up against Porcelain Legionnaire, and it's just like, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You know who won that match? Me. No, really? Didn't. Yeah, you, I did. Oh, you meddling mage did. I, I didn't you. beat you, Jake. But I oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the match where we played, where I no, had personal no. engineer. I was like, you didn't win that match. No, I, I beat Hazard though. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Hazard was playing porcelain legionnaire. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but Jake. Jake got me with the porcelain legionnaires. So they were pretty good, and I agree. I mean, they're they're certainly a threat. You really have to be able to deal with those. Also, Kasali Pride Mage, which makes all of your other guys attack for three. And Yep. And has the added bonus of, like we said, being able to sacrifice and kind of right. blow up your opposing bridges, which is a big game, as you they say. You don't yeah, I know. I've, I've used uh, Kasali Pride Mage on my own artifacts to blow up opposing bridges. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you don't feel, though, that there's some... Um, I mean, you say that you don't want to drop a Tarmogoyf on turn two, but he, because he doesn't do anything to necessarily affect the board state. Does Porcelain Legionnaire really do anything more than Tarmogoyf when you drop him against turn two against the non-dude deck? Well, so, I, I mean, I think when we say non-dude deck, we have to put a little asterisk and make sure that we're including in non-dude decks shops. Or, yeah, shops that aren't aggro. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they still run Lodestone Golem, and that's how they're going to win, generally. Sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, Karn is a, is a card, but for the most part, I mean, we're concerned about their Lodestone Golems, like, kind of stopping us from doing anything. And Porcelain Legionnaire does a lot against Lodestone Golem. That being said, it's also a two-of. Legionnaire yeah. is also an artifact, so he plays more easily through Lodestone Golem and also plays through Thorn. Yep. Yep. Like I said, whereas Tarmogoyf gets stuck in your hand because this deck obviously doesn't run that many mana sources, Porcelain Legionnaire can almost always get on the board. I mean, the only effect that hits him is actual sphere. Additionally, although it has not happened many times, uh, the fact that he's an artifact is relevant with the Goblin Welder. Oh, sure. Um, the fact that we can occasionally get back a Pitting Needle or get back a Graft Digger's Cage off of a Porcelain Legionnaire has been relevant. Right, and you're playing three Goblin Welders. Yeah, I, I think Goblin Welder is actually more of a must in aggro decks than... I think a lot of other people, I mean, then in aggro control decks, then I think a lot of other people do. This is a Mark Trogdon uh, <laughs> innovation, but I think he's absolutely right. And here's the thing, when your opponent has Tinker in their deck, and you play Goblin Welder, they can't win can't with Tinker. Tinker. Right, yeah. And, I mean, that is huge. Additionally, it's just a one-drop, and there aren't, obviously, many one-drops that aren't pitting needles and graphics cages in the deck, but it's a one-drop that lets you kind of interact favorably with almost every deck in the format other than Dredge. Mm-hmm. Especially with, uh, you also have two Gorilla Shamans. Between those two cards, you can really control the board against a Workshop deck. Absolutely. The, I mean, the only that, problem is... That's, that's eat your board right there. <laughs> yeah, and, and especially when we have a lot more problems with like the aggro versions. Like, I mean, when you have aggro mode and they're dropping lots of big dudes, if they have Razor Man Masticore, like, being able to say... Eat your mocks, weld out your Razorman Mastercor is right. very important. <laughs> sure, yeah. And I think, I mean, Welder just enables a lot of broken plays. I think Goblin Welder is maybe the card that I have, since coming back to Vintage, played more than anything else, regardless of deck. 
And I just, I don't understand why people don't play Goblin Welder more. I think he has kind of fallen out of favor in a lot of vintage decks, and he just seems so powerful to me. He's pretty broken. I mean, like, yeah. I played him in Belcher. He's, he's good in all kinds of decks. Yeah. I'm just surprised, the, like, the blue decks don't play him as much as they used to. I mean, I understand that Thirst for Knowledge has a lot to do with that, yeah. um, being, you know, that being restricted, but it still seems like a very good card to me. Yeah. Let me ask you, so how do you get away without playing Force of Will? I mean, are, are you worried about the first turn? <laughs> and are, are, um, what about the top deck, too? I mean, that's the other thing. Is like you get a lot of well, times, I know, especially against black decks, where you can rip apart your opponent's hand, but if they draw the right card, they still win. Like, they still resolve Tinker or Yawgmoth's Will and can do something. Uh, well, and, and that's, that's what a lot of the kind of cards that are around, that are these permanent... Like, that's one of the reasons that this is a nicer deck i think in some ways because your solutions to those cards stay in play if you're if they're not used so like quisali pride mage answers time vault no matter when it comes up Fair like enough. you just have to get that or torch fiend in play and time vault isn't a concern until they answer the card like you have a lot of creatures that in addition to attacking for small amounts of damage mm -hmm. just sit on the board and say i'm ready to be their seals of whatever that thing is Right, and forcing a blue player into that position where they not only have to tap top deck, but also have to find an answer and a top deck, right, is sort of like where where we're trying to be. That being said, Yogmas Will definitely still accounts for wins against the deck. Yogmas Will is one of the most powerful cards. Well, you've still got main deck Graft Diggers cages and things like Phyrexian Revoker shutting down boxes and things like that can certainly keep them from having a big turn. Yeah, I mean that's true, but I think like there's a point at which you're I mean, because we don't draw, we have no way of drawing extra cards. Right. I think that's where, like, when they play a, a value spell, I mean, they play Agnes Will for value, that's when you get really burned. And the problem with relying on Grafdigger's Cage and Phyrexian Revoker, though they're very good, is that Hercules Recall answers them against you just right. as well as it answers shops. Right. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons, in fact, that Stony Silence is so good for these kinds of decks. Mm -hmm. because there aren't as many main deck answers. I mean, you see Nature's Claim every once in a while, but the fact that it doesn't get Hercules Recalls, Hercules Recalled is a very important kind of facet to these yeah. decks being able to be played. Well, Rest in Peace exists now. Do you ever consider playing Rest in Peace against, you know, uh, Dredge and also Yawgmoss Will? Well, I have four of them in the sideboard of this deck. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> and they are... Uh, them in against Yawgmoss Will? I guess that's my question. I mean... You do. The The good thing about that matchup is there are cards that you don't want as much. I generally don't keep Grafdigger's Cage in against those decks. Okay. Because while it can stop Yawgmoth's Will, like I said, Hercules Recall hits it, and they're going to be Hercules Recalling you, in my experience. But doesn't it also stop Tinker? It does. <laughs> so, I've had... So, this has not happened very many times, but I have had people side out Tinker against me. Interesting. <laughs> Well, I mean, so when you play, if you go first turn Welder, second turn Grafdigger's Cage, plus something else. <laughs> I guess they're sort of expecting Grafdigger's Cage all the time, so it's like, I'm not even going to bother trying to tinker. Yeah. You don't, I mean, it's not like an always kind of a thing, but I've, I've done it before. I've definitely brought in Rest in Peace, but I don't usually bring in all four against those decks, because the other, the main deck has a lot of good cards. I probably set out Porcelain Legionnaire um, okay. against most yeah. blue decks, unless they're playing a dude blue deck. But Porcelain Legionnaire is not very good, and I probably side out lightning bolts against them as well. But okay. keeping in uh, swords? Well, yeah, so swords is the added bonus of answering Tinker while still not losing to Hercules Recall. Gotcha. Right, and you're, right. you're not worried about the fact that swords doesn't hit Jace? Oh, not at all. Jace isn't actually very good against this deck. You run him over. I agree. Jace never seems very good against a full-fledged aggro control deck. Yeah. In addition, if ever Pitting Needle and Phyrexian Revoker are going to be good. Right. I mean, we do have six of that effect against Jace. I, I mean, I've blind named Jace 
more than almost anything with the deck, mm-hmm. other than occasionally Black Lotus when, you know, that's right. their way to win <laughs> with Revoker. But yeah, I mean, it, it really depends. The other thing is that you have this kind of mentality with a deck like this, where you have to kind of be pre-sideboarded in some way. Um, and for Ohio, that means pre-sideboarded more against shops. So I have some extra cards against shops in here in the main right. deck that I can, you know, potentially cut. There have been times that you um, cut some number of Torch Fiends and bring in a different kind of artifact destruction spell. Again, against blue decks, like, they tend to not expect much of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess and, that's true. <laughs> and one of the things that you can do is if you side out your guys that kind of sit on the board and are answers that way and bring in things like Ancient Grudge, you can really catch them off guard because they don't see the Ancient Grudge in the main and they might, I mean, you're already pretty heavily boarded for shops or for, like, artifacts. So you can kind of create those situations. But it's, I mean, those situations are rare. It really depends on the opponent a lot, too. You can kind of get a good sense in, I mean, we know a lot of the people that play vintage in the area, so that helps. But if you don't, I think that it's easier, it's a more convivial atmosphere, so you get a sense of whether or not your opponent thinks your deck is hilarious or a joke um, pretty quickly. Maybe both. Yeah. Whereas I think people in, you know, in Legacy or whatever, like, you know, they're serious business they're going to, you know, beat you and keep their game face on until the end and then maybe ask you why you're playing, you know, Torch Fiend in your deck. Right. Vintage, they'll ask you, you know, when it comes into play. <laughs> why are you playing that <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think that might be an, a direct quote of one of my opponents in one of these tournaments. You hit on... Or occasionally just the high five. Yeah. I mean, right. you, you can get the high five for Torch Fiend. You hit on something earlier that I wanted to ask you about, because it's something that I experienced when I was playing. This is going back, and you're going to laugh, but I was playing the Mountains Win Again back in, like, that deck was solid. Eight or nine. I mean, not for you, but it was solid. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that was black, white, red. And I found that there was a high correlation between having turn one or two Bob and winning the game. So much so that I actually put in, and you're going to laugh, one Phyrexian Arena to have a total of five black card drawers to just have a higher consistency in getting that. So do you feel not playing blue means you're losing out on a lot of the the good card draw? Do you feel that when all you get is one card per turn and that's it? Absolutely. You definitely get in situations occasionally where you are out of cards and you're like, I need this to be something and it's a land, or it's a, you know, it's a mox, and you have Stony Silence in play, and you're like, why am I playing this deck? Um, but at the same time, because all of your cards do so much work, they're a lot of the time worth more than one card. And what that means to different people is, you know, kind of up in the air. I, I don't think of a lot of the cards in the deck as two-for-ones, because they are always just trading for one thing. Like, either they're a creature, or they're killing an artifact, but they're never doing both. Right. Except for Welder which we already talked about, but that nature, that ability to kind of have multiple roles all the time for almost every card in the deck. I mean, the only cards that aren't doing more than one thing are Swords and Bolt. Right. I mean, Well, and even even Bolt, you can target a creature or target your opponent. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's true. So there are so many situations where these cards do different, have different roles and are kind of simultaneously fulfilling multiple roles. Right. And it doesn't always, like, while you have fewer cards in your hand, they're kind of creating action. They're right. doing more than one thing. They're doing multiple kinds of jobs. Right, and a lot of these have sort of implicit card advantage because you're you're shutting down an entire an entire path to victory for your opponent. Yeah, like you know, I have I have this graph diggers cage, so now you can't tinker or play Yogg Will. You know, I mean, it's yeah, and and I mean, I think that that's one of the reasons that like 
traditional card advantage isn't the best way to describe decks in Vintage. Right. Because, I mean, while there are decks where that's very good and the card quality is very high, because cards do so much, I mean, how many cards is, you know, Sphere of Resistance worth in a Shops deck? Right. It does so much work. It's affecting all of your opponent's cards. It's potentially making it so that instead of casting two or three spells a turn, they're casting one. I mean, that that to me feels like multiple cards, but you're not drawing extra cards. Right. So it's I think that I think that that kind of analysis of decks starts to fall apart a little bit. That right. being said, I think my next version of this deck, if it runs green, is gonna run Sylvan Library. Okay. As an um, actual card advantage engine. And even just card selection. I mean, I right. think you do run the fetch lands, and I think there's I mean, <laughs> there's times when you just really need to top deck something, and being able to kind of set up your draw a little bit is nice. <laughs> sure. Well, let me uh, let me ask you a little bit about that. There's uh, obviously, if we're if we're talking non-blue, that still accounts for four colors that you have to choose from. <laughs> I um, mean, they're they're almost colors, <laughs> right? Um, I assume that the different colors would give you different advantages against different meta games, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely on, on what the colors do. <laughs> One of the problems, though, is that you're constrained because the best cards in these decks are a lot better <laughs> than some of the other cards. I think that it's Almost a non-starter to not play red. Okay. Um, I think red because red answers artifacts and blue cards. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and specifically lets you play Goblin Welder and Simeon Spirit Guide, which we haven't talked much about Spirit Guides yet. Okay. But the Spirit Guides are really important because one, they let you play through things in shops that a lot of other decks can't. Okay. Because they're a mana source that doesn't require you to pay mana to put it into play. Right. And in addition, they play through Stoning Silence, which is obviously part of your game plan. So being able to play Spirit Guides is like a big bonus. And while you can do that in green, I think that green is the weakest color for these decks, other than Quasali Pride Mage, who's maybe the best card. So that's, uh -huh. that's one of the tough things. Because Quasali Pride Mage does everything you want it to do. It beats for three. It blows up artifacts or enchantments. I mean, it's just, it, it does all the work. And it sits on the board, and it does all that for uh, colorless mana. Which right. can be a problem in a three-color deck where you don't get to kind of fix things in a better way and you're playing against shops. Yeah, Kasali Pride Man seems really good. Yeah. He's, he's very good. I, and I know he, that guy has beaten me many a time, and I've been playing different decks each time. So it's, yeah, yeah, he's either too big to deal with with dudes, or he's the guy that shuts down your enchantment or artifact. He just does all of that stuff yeah. pretty well. And in this list, the list that we're kind of talking about right now, he's the only green card. Yeah, in the main deck, at least. I mean, like, Ancient Grudge is, you know, half a green card in the sideboard, but he's the only green card, but he's worth the color by himself, at least in this version. Right. I think that might change, but there's no card that replicates this. I mean, Torchfiend, I think, is the next closest, and it's so much worse. I mean, I, feel, I still think Torchfiend <laughs> is good. he doesn't blow up enchantments, too? He doesn't blow up enchantments, and it costs a red mana to activate him, and he's yeah. always a 2-2. Like, he's yeah. worse in every respect, but I still play four of them, because Quasali Pride Mage is so good. Right. Okay, so we've got, uh, we've talked a little bit about red and green, red answers, blue and artifacts, and green has Kasali Pride Mage. And I guess and Tarmogoyf, well, if that's your thing, but... Right, and you, uh, you even said that you'd be playing uh, Sylvan Library next time. I, mean, I don't yeah. think you can shortchange Grudge, either. That's always a two-for-one, oh. and pretty nice. It is, but red also gives you access to ingot chewers, and gives you, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can kind of do if you don't have the green route. Right. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, Ancient Grudge is very good, don't get me wrong, but I think that Ancient Grudge is not nearly as strong an argument, at least for me, as, as Pride Mage is. What do you get from Black, then? So, Black is primarily Dark Confidant and Thoughtseize. Okay. Um, and I have tried a Jund build, which is funny, okay. because I think we can, we can talk about that a little bit more, but the version of the deck that is similar to mine that is 
kind of jund flavored did it primarily for dark confidant we ran i think two or three thought seizes and there's a couple other black cards that you can consider i mean dark blast is very good right now in vintage uh-huh. and i think it's like not very much of a cost to run one of that card right but Dark Confidant in a deck like this actually doesn't do enough, was my experience. I was going to ask you about that when we were talking about card advantage earlier, because you mentioned the fact that when you drop a creature, you want it to do something, and very often, recently, when I drop a Dark Confidant in turn two, I feel like my opponent just goes forward with the game plan, and I don't get the mileage out of Confidant that I need to get ahead, I've already lost. Yeah, Confidant might replace himself, but you don't get far enough ahead. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you need him to... Like, I think the places where he really shines are decks where you have insane bombs. And this deck has a lot, like, more even card quality. Sure. There, there isn't a Tinker, and there isn't a Yawgmoth's Will for you to, like, get to more quickly. The other thing that you can get from Black is Tutors, which, again, is kind of answering that same edge case where, like, we don't have bombs. It can be nice. I mean, I ran Demonic Consultation because why on earth in a deck with mostly, like, four and three of <laughs> would you not run Demonic Consultation? Right, right. I mean, it's nice to be able to select a card, but the card quality is not high enough. And against shops, I mean, sphere effects exist, and having to pay what amounts to, like, four or five mana for your two drop as opposed to three is a big difference. So, I, I mean, I think that can be, that's part of the issue. But I do like black. I think that there's probably some lists that are very different in style from mine that run black, or that could run black. I A long time ago, I want to say, I don't know, maybe 2006, I ran a white-black deck in Vintage almost all the time, and it was all right. <laughs> um, I think my opponents were running, well, when did Gifts Ungiven come out? Like, in the somewhere around that time period... But they were running Gifts Ungiven, and I was running white-black creatures, and it was okay. <laughs> that seems totally unfair. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, at that time, it was very good to run True Believer. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and True Believer has actually gotten a little bit better. If he didn't cost double white, he'd be a lot better. But, I mean, the fact that he shuts down Oath of Druids now is pretty important, actually. Like, that's... If, oh, sure. if you live in an Oath of Druids metagame and for some reason decide you want to play aggro control all the time, get those True Believers out. <laughs> Because he's very good. I mean, he has a lot of value. There's other, I mean, there's other stuff that he does. If you live in a meta with a lot of combo, also true. As it turns out, once again, I live in Ohio. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I like how we established that if you're playing in an Oath meta game and you decide to play aggro control, you might be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. It's a, you know what? Actually, I don't think that's true, though. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you have so many different answers against Oath. Like, you, I mean, you can remove enchantments. You have Kasali Pride Mage to remove enchantments. You have Graph Digger's Cage. You have True Believer that you can play. I mean, there's so many ways to answer Oath. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. The problem is, like, all right, say that you're that that's that's the metagame that you're in. It's not like they don't have other cards. Right. It's not like Oath is the only card in that deck. They're still playing a blue deck in Vintage. But it's not like you don't have other cards either. I mean, you're still primarily focused against blue, and you have a lot of ways to shut down their primary plan. Is that? I mean, yeah. I mean, maybe my, I'm wrong. My experience has not I been positive tried. against Oath. That being said, the Oath list that I played against with this deck is the long Oath Grizzlebrand yeah. deck. And that deck plays Oath or just wins the game on turn yeah, that, one. Yeah, that one seems like a nightmare for you. I mean, yeah, that's, that's I, I meant like startlingly bad. Oath. Yeah. I don't know. I think it depends a lot on what the version of Oath is and what their right. game plan is. I mean, the other thing is, the last time I was playing Oath, I had many discard spells. And I don't know how in flavor that is in places where there's a lot of non-burning long Oath going. But 
those cards are very good against you because your cards have to do so much work mm-hmm. that when you have, you know, more than one Thoughtseize played against you or more than, you know, more than one of that effect, it can be pretty devastating. Right. So, especially since some of our cards don't do anything against Oath. Like, many of the other cards in the deck, like, do something against blue decks. But right. what does Phyrexian Revoker do? I mean, okay, name Gristlebrand. I'm not beating a 7-7 Life Blinker anyway. <laughs> it activates Oath. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, it, it's actually detrimental end. to your Oath game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so, and there, there are cards like that. I mean, also, your, your Lightning Bolts aren't generally very good. Your Stony Silences right. don't matter. And Goblin Welder is really bad in that matchup. And I play, if I have Goblin Welder in my opening hand, I almost always play it on turn one, unless, no. you know, my opponent is holding up double blue or something. It seems like a really sad day when you go first turn Goblin Welder and they answer with first turn Oath, and you're just like, neat. Yeah. yeah. Game. <laughs> I think it can be pretty well established that, like, in the, uh, the paper, rock, scissors, if there is such a thing in vintage, Oath is on the beating whatever crappy thing aggro control is into the ground. Right. <laughs> so people are playing paper, rock, scissors, and aggro control is getting stomped under the heel of Oath, I think, in that game. That makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not impossible, but it's not a, it's certainly the worst matchup. Right. With that being said, sometimes you just say, well, there's not that much Oath played around me, and I'm just going to ignore the fact that it exists a little bit. I have scarcely seen Oath other than in Burning Long lately. Yeah, other than Steve winning a TSO with it. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> So, so I guess the most important thing then is to sort of have a plan of what your meta game is going to be, right? I mean, like you have to, you want to know within reason what the decks you're going to face are, and then do you choose your colors based on that, and choose the creature, or choose the uh, the cards then based on what you have available? I think that for almost any meta, I want to have. Well, I guess that's not true. If we were if we were in the oath meta, I would not maybe not want to have red, but for most cases, I want to have. For sure, red and likely white. Okay. Because they're both just very strong. And I think the other, the, the last color can change a little bit depending on your meta, but it's more about the specific cards because there are more hate cards that exist at this point in Magic. I mean, it's, you know, the game's 20 years old. There are a lot of hate bears. So your particular mix of those hate bears and, you know, how you choose to kind of, what numbers, I mean, you notice there's a lot of sort of interesting numbers. We have some threes and twos and fours. And, and that honestly was just from a lot of testing. So. I'm, you know, we're lucky in that we know people that play vintage in our local scene. So I get to play vintage if I, you know, if I want to, I can play vintage two or three times a week. And I'm testing against, you know, Mark Trogdon, who's one of the best stacks players, you know, or workshop players in general. And, you know, Tuan, who <laughs> recently won a mox playing stacks or, or workshops, I should say. No, it was stacks. There's, I mean, there's just a lot of quality players. When Jerry is playing, he's, he's a very good player, I think, to test against. So by right. virtue of having, you know, that, you do definitely, you're able to refine. But I think it's more about that. It's more about tweaking your numbers than about uh-huh. actually wholesale changing colors. Um, okay. I think they're, the colors are too different to kind of have the same basic build and try and port it, at least in my experience. Right. That being said, I have been playing with the idea recently of cutting green entirely despite Quisali Pride Mage being very good. And just going red, red white, white. Which, you know, why not play the two worst colors in Magic? <laughs> That's uh, true. The worst? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the reasoning for, for that is just that there. I think that those colors are really the core for any, especially non-blue, aggro control deck. Right. And I think there's, I mean, like we said, we're playing exactly one green card. Um, and it's really good, but it would be nice to be able to play a ton more basics in the deck. Oh, sure. Because that, I mean, obviously anytime you can kind of up your basics. I mean, I'm, I'm already running five basics in this deck, uh-huh. but it would be nice to run six or eight 
I think that, like, I mean, anytime you can do that, your matchup against any workshop deck gets better. Totally. Uh-huh. And we have recently had printed Shattering Blow in Gatecrash, mm-hmm. um, that while it doesn't do the same work as Gwisali Pride Mage, does very good work. Yeah, Shattering uh, Blow is a two-drop, one, and a white or red split mana, mm-hmm. and it uh, exiles uh, an artifact. It exiles an artifact, and it's an instant, which is, yeah. you know... M- much better than not being an instant, I suppose. <laughs> right. Saying that, says the guy who's playing however many creatures are in this deck, but um, <laughs> 17 or something. No, I think I think that card might push you into a place where you feel a little bit more comfortable not running Quisali Pride Mage. Sure. Just you because... Think, you think that's it, even better than something like Seal of Cleansing that will hit both artifacts and enchantments? I mean... And once it resolves, is uncounterable. Right. Yeah, I mean... You, I mean you, the, got, you got Disenchant, which loses the exile, but hits enchantments as well. Oh, I, I mean, I think the exile is pretty important. So when we talk about cards that are good against this deck, despite the fact that we have a lot of things kind of interacting with them, Tinker Blightsteel is still a concern. Mm-hmm. And you, like, Kosali Pride Mage and Seal Cleansing don't do anything to, to that card, and Shattering Blow does. I mean, it answers Blightsteel, which is important. The other thing is that there are the artifacts that you're sacrificing for, like sacrificing to blow up, especially against blue decks, so... Not as much against workshops because they have more redundancy, but when we play against blue decks that have these very powerful cards, when you destroy, say, Time Vault, right. you want Time Vault not to come back from Yawgmoth's Will. Right. And it will never come back <laughs> if you <laughs> if you exile it. I've lost to, you know, Hercules Recall and Step uh, for my Pivoting Needle or Revoker that was, you know, naming a Time Vault that I had already destroyed into right. Yawgmoth's Will, play Time Vault Key, kill you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, being able to say, oh, hey, I have instance in this deck and I end that plan is powerful. It might not work though. It needs to be tested. I haven't I haven't done much work with the with the white red build yet. Um that's the prep for the TSO. The upcoming TSO. Right. Yeah, I no- I noticed the uh, the shattering blow. I think that's a, an interesting card for gate crashes from or from gate rash as well. Do you think that aggro control is a good introductory deck for vintage? Like if someone is new to vintage, do you recommend that for them? You know, it's funny. I think that there are reasons that you can say that it's a good deck right. um, for the intro player. The main reason is that it's one of the decks that plays the most similarly to like a traditional magic deck, which right. I think is a big problem for a lot of vintage decks. If you hand someone shops, or if you hand someone, I don't know, however many tutors there are in, <laughs> in blue decks right, right If now. you give them a, a blue control deck with a bunch of tutors and... Or, or, or even Dredge. I mean, Dredge is... A, until you learn how to play Dredge, it's hard right. to play correctly. Right. And I think this deck at least has creatures and spells. And, I mean, we have some sense of how to do that from other formats. Right. That being said, it's still not an easy deck to play. I mean, there, there are a lot of interactions. I think playing Goblin Welder correctly is hard to do. Yeah. It's a hard deck to play simply because it's so tuned for a metagame. I mean, it's not like... Like, you have to know whether to blow something up with Kasali Pride Mage or wait to blow up something more relevant. I mean, do you blow up every yeah. mox that comes along with Torch Fiend, or do you wait? Yeah, and, and I mean, the other thing about that is, like, yeah, that, and that might not even be specifically metagame, but just about the format right. in general. Like, you have to know what cards to care about in general in the format, and it's hard to do that if you're unfamiliar. So, I'm going to say, if, if I was suggesting a deck for a new player to Vintage, I think the decks that I would suggest would be blue aggro control decks, because okay. the ways that you're interacting with your opponent are much more, they make a lot more sense to you. And while you still have to evaluate what the best threats are, I think, I mean, people that have played Legacy and have played Rug or have played Standard or even Modern in the new red-white-blue deck that's seen playing in Modern, that's right. really similar to some of the blue decks, the blue aggro control decks in Vintage. Yeah, okay. 
So, I mean, I think you can, and I think you'll learn very quickly by playing a deck like this. I mean, that's how I learned how to play Vintage. I, I didn't have <laughs> the cards, and I wanted to play, and that was what people were playing. So, I mean, I had four Force of Wills, but Mono Blue Control apparently was not good after, you know, the two years that I tried to play it. So, right. I yeah, I, I scraped together some creatures that looked like they might work and tried to get it, tried to understand it that way. And yeah. I, I think it's helped my ability to play Vintage a lot. Yeah, it certainly, it, it certainly puts you onto a better training path, I think. I mean, like, you, you learn faster what's good and what's not in Vintage. And, but at the same time, I, I don't know that I'd actually recommend it for someone because it's so... You, you start with a big power deficit immediately. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It also doesn't feel good to, like, start playing when your opponent gets to cast all the cool spells. Right. Like, <laughs> even though sometimes they don't work and, like, the fact that your opponent has Ancestral Recall doesn't matter, which is really awesome. Right. Like, when that happens, you're like, this, is, this deck is sweet because I'm attacking him with Torch Fiend and his Ancestral Recall means nothing. Like, yeah. that's awesome. And also tilts your opponent, which is great. Right. But, yeah, I, I know playing against these are very frustrating. I think you're right. I think you want to, if you're exposing new players to Vintage, you want them to see the fun. You want them to see the ridiculousness of playing a Vintage deck that they don't get in other formats. And there's not a lot that happens in this deck that can't happen in another format. Right, that demonstrates that. Speaking of opportunities to play Vintage, uh, there's a Team Serious Open coming up on February 9th in Sandusky, Ohio. Just kind of wanted to promote that a little bit. And Jake, are you going to be playing uh, Agro Control there? I, I think I am. I think I'm... If I can get White Red to work, I'm going to play that. If not, I'll tweak this, this Naya build a little bit. Okay. But yeah, I, I, think, it'll be, I think it'll be a good... I'm, I'm tired of playing uh, non-Agro Control. Excuse my dummery, but um, will Gate Crash be out by then? So will you have Shattering Blows? Yeah, it's Gate Crash is out as of Friday. Oh, yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. There you go. Which Jeff, also, what are you, uh, what are you packing? Well, after getting thoroughly trounced playing Landstill against some of your decks, you're not playing Landstill. No, I'm not playing Landstill. I think I might end up playing Bomberman actually. Well, that sounds okay. Yeah, that deck's yeah, been I doing. I think you'll enjoy that one. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that I really am am attached to is the counter package. Everything else, I think, can can <laughs> go away, and and Bomberman has that. Really heavy counter package, which is always what I like to to enjoy. Yeah, it's funny though. My experience with Bomberman, especially lately, has been it's any other blue deck because you win with Bomberman that combo so rarely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're good cards. It's 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 one of the nice things because it's a combo deck where the cards actually do stuff. But yeah, it's just sad when you can't <laughs> when you don't get to use the the fun combo to win the game. You just like are playing a blue deck, and sometimes you win with Jace. Yeah, I know. I know. When I was playing Bomberman a while ago, it was like I'm winning by attacking with two twos. <laughs> <laughs> See, you too feel the allure of aggro control. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing is that I have this two four that just stays at home and blocks all of your two twos. It's true. That guy is a beating against this deck. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll even knock down your porcelain legionnaires, won't he? Yep. Yeah. Good. Good thing I have. Uh, lightning bolts and, and uh, swords <laughs> and swords to even up that matchup. Yeah. What are you going to be playing, Nat? I um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm probably going to be playing workshops, and I will probably play Forge Master Staves. Although the last time I tested it, I did not have very good luck. So I'm that, I was that must discouraged. Have been, that must have been after we tested. Yes, it, it was <laughs> after I tested against you and just <laughs> cleaned the floor with your face repeatedly. <laughs> So I think that's what I'm going to be playing. Do we have any uh, any interesting predictions about the metagame? Has anyone... Uh, 
I mean, well, I assume it's going to be the typical Cleveland metagame with, like, 50% shops. <laughs> I heard a rumor that Tuan was not going to be playing his build of Tuan Spresso stacks. What? Really? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I mean, maybe he got too, you know, he got tired of winning already. Yeah, yeah. I like how Tuan just starts winning with something and then is like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I've got to start taking last place again. That's where I it's feel like, comfortable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to um, Psychotog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Yeah, I think Randall might be coming, which means that it's possible someone will be playing Belcher. Oh, that's true. Although I, I actually heard a rumor that he might be playing a Gate Crash card in his deck that is not Shattering Blow. Well, he's going to be playing that new uh, what Dusk Mantle Seeker? Dusk Mantle Seeker? No, I think it's a different blue black card. Actually, it's not the it's not the one that um that is Bob for both of you. Right. It's the it's the one that it's it when it hits your opponent, it like flips the top card. And it's exiled, and then you can cast that card. Oh, okay. you have to pay, or you can play that card. I do believe we summarily dismissed that card last episode. <laughs> well, this would be Randall's uh, opportunity to prove us wrong. It's true. It wouldn't it's be true. the first time. <laughs> no, it certainly wouldn't. And I mean, he he's a person that likes to play cards that are uh, that other people have dismissed. I would say. Yeah, he, he's he the person really that has embraced the the, uh, the rogue ideal. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, he played Tithe, and I think Tithe is a card that is definitely interesting. Oh yeah. Oh, he always he he puts together stuff that's playable. I mean, it's <laughs> cards that deserve to be brought out every once in a while just to see if they work. Yeah, and sometimes I mean, they do. Yeah, and that's it's important to have people doing that. Otherwise, we all play the same decks, you know, forever. That's no yeah, good. I agree. That's true. Well, I'm uh, I'm actually hoping that we get some new players out this time. We've been doing pretty well at recruiting in Columbus, and I'm hoping that a few new players will make the drive up or ride up with us and. I'll write up with me and whoever else goes with me. And yeah, you said you had three new people at Monday this week. Yeah, we had uh, had three new people. Um, one guy actually works at the store, and he's usually hanging around and lamenting how he doesn't have a vintage deck. And we're like, you should just proxy a deck or here borrow mine. <laughs> and so he finally did. And um, I know he he ended up playing against another guy who I had lent my Forge Master Stave's deck to, and um, he was losing pretty poorly. So um, I, I don't know that it was an encouraging start to Vintage for him, but we did have some, some other players uh, new to Vintage, and actually we had a tournament, a uh, nine-player tournament, two weeks ago. There are a few people there that I was able to talk to about Vintage and sort of evangelize a little bit and <laughs> try and get them into the format. So I'm always encouraged that there are people who are interested in the, the Vintage cards and you know getting into the Vintage tournaments that yeah. we do have in Ohio. So it's, It is interesting to me, though, how people like think that it's so unapproachable. Even people that play Legacy... Who I mean, and legacy decks are hard to play, and legacy decks have yeah. you know expensive cards in them, and there is a lot of you know initial reluctance right up until the time when they first like cast Time Walk, right? Tinker for Blight Steel, cast Yogmoth. I mean, like when those things happen, you just get so excited. <laughs> hey, see, that's always my thing. Is like vintage is an exciting format. There are big things that happen in vintage, and there's things that happen in vintage that you can't do elsewhere, and that's really what I want to try and show to people is you know. That, that yeah, vintage I think... is fun and doesn't always end on turn one or two. And, and in fact, just... it infrequently ends on turn one or two. Usually <laughs> it's a longer game and you sit. have some back and forth. And... You can just sit down and do it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think that's that's the biggest thing. As soon as I think as soon as you've played Vintage more than once or twice, you want to play it all the time. Yeah. It's just getting that initial little, little jump, that little bump into it, and then you're just... Yep. It's, it's what you want to do. Yeah, I think so too.
And one other opportunity to play vintage would be at Gen Con, which uh, is coming up in uh, in this summer. And, coming up um, in what six eight months? months? <laughs> you know what? It's still coming up, and they just had early uh, early registration. So this is why I bring it up. If you want to go to Gen Con, you can register now. Dun, dun, dun. But what you can't do is get a hotel room. Yeah, this entire week has been hotel drama, as we find out that everywhere is sold out already. Well, and we had people calling them the first five minutes that there were rooms. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I think the the Gen Con Housing Bureau is uh, is pretty cruel at times. <laughs> but uh, hey, it's all right. I hear there's a good place to pitch a tent that only charges you a, a really nominal fee. I guess when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so we're all going to be pitching tents at Gen Con all over the place. Oh, um, goodness. That was not how I intended that to be <laughs> interpreted at all. And, and you know what? It's immortalized forever on the internet, so congratulations. Sure oh, good. Oh, good. Um, Speaking of Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, I think that for us, it's weighing three things. You have to, of course, weigh cost, then you have how close you are to the convention center, and then you have how close you are to the liquor store right it's true. Know, look at the liquor store is pretty important i know last year we had a lot of um okay well there were there were a lot of people drinking jaeger bombs last year <laughs> which i felt was a mistake all along <laughs> even though it you know it could have been a lot worse <laughs> because you know as you drink jaeger bombs you also could expel Jaeger bombs, <laughs> and that didn't happen. So I guess there's that. But yeah, the entire time, of course, I don't drink, so I was not partaking in the Jaeger bombing. <laughs> but I couldn't really pick up on whether everyone was drinking Jaeger bombs ironically or whether they actually wanted to drink Jaeger bombs. And I'm I, still not sure. I was drinking them reluctantly. <laughs> Like, I, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the rest <laughs> of the guys who were drinking tons of them and forcing them on people, including you. Yeah. I'm still going to choose to believe that it was ironically, because <laughs> otherwise I really have to find new friends. <laughs> well, so what what should they have been drinking, Matt? Uh, you know, I'm I'm really not an expert in cocktails. I prefer beer and bourbon and i prefer them i prefer bourbon neat and without ice which i guess is also neat but anyway um, <laughs> i don't put a lot of effort into actually making a drink the only drink that i ever put real effort into making is a tom collins and that's only if i have all of the proper ingredients which are gin confectioner's sugar club soda lemon juice and an orange and maraschino cherry as a garnish so you would never use, you would never deign to use a Tom Collins mix. Oh, are you kidding me? Tom Collins mix is horrendous. Most pre-made mixes for things in general are pretty horrendous. <laughs> but well, yeah, it, my problem with them is they are way, way too sweet. Sure. That syrupiness just doesn't work for me. It gives me heartburn, and and I don't enjoy it. <laughs> you so know, I, I've so got to ask. I've got to ask since this came up because. Anytime I see somebody drinking, like, margaritas at a party, it's always margarita mix. Yeah? Is margarita mix terrible, or is that, like, the exception to the rule, or... Margarita mix is usually okay because it's frozen. Okay. Well, even a regular margarita, I mean, a non-frozen margarita, mixes are usually okay. They're not yeah. too bad. Spoken as someone who doesn't really like tequila at all, 
I will occasionally drink a pre-mixed margarita if that's the thing that's happening. <laughs> yeah. I don't have nearly the revulsion toward that as I do toward things that have, say, Rose's grenadine in them or sour mix or <laughs> Collins mix if it comes up. Okay, so Jake, we've established that you'll join the bandwagon if they're drinking <laughs> margaritas. Jake succumbs so, to peer pressure. <laughs> Jake, will you drink Jaeger bombs if they are forced upon you by other members of Team Sirius? I'm not a very high-ranking member of Team Sirius. We don't have ranks. We're more likely to get in your face. (laughs) (laughs) What I would say is, I probably would, but I only say that because I've been in a situation where Jaeger has been forced on me before, and in that situation, I caved. Despite the fact that I pretty much hate Jaeger and really hate Red Bull. (laughs) Oh, yes, Red Bull is definitely the worst part of the Jaeger bomb. We totally have to also explain that the, the Jaeger bombs that were consumed <laughs> last year at Gen Con were not actually genuine Jaeger bombs. Instead of Red Bull, they were made with Diet Rockstar. <laughs> yeah, and there were tons of cans of that in our restroom. The whole bathroom just smelled of Diet Rockstar. <laughs> Which, Which, if it smells anything like Red Bull, yeah. was not a good smell. <laughs> no, it's it's nauseating. Yeah. It's like metallic Jolly Ranchers. Yeah. Oh, it's gross. <laughs> I'm thinking of it now, and it's gross. <laughs> Pretty good explanation. I like it. And so Jake, Jake, what is your uh, yeah. what's your preferred cocktail of choice? And you well, to be have... honest with you, if I you know if I have to, if I'm drinking liquor, I would prefer to be drinking Scotch neat. So we have oh, that yeah. kind of you know in common. Um, but after going to Scotland, I got a little bit snobby about yeah. the Scotch thing. So I don't actually, I don't like bourbon that much. It's it's too sweet for me if I'm drinking just liquor. I do like bourbon, which is funny. I'm going to add sugar in this cocktail that I'm going to talk about. But I really like a well-made old-fashioned, which if you don't, if you haven't made an old-fashioned before, is an orange and a maraschino cherry or some kind of cherry with sugar and bitters. And you kind of muddle those together and then add ice, you know, well-pack a, a rocks glass with ice and then add whiskey. Okay. Um, I'm a big fan of old fashions. I think they're really good, and I think it's one of those drinks that you very much get the taste of the liquor, but there's other things playing off it. I think bitters is a really interesting taste profile, and there's a bunch yeah. of different kinds. So, yeah, do you have a recommended bitters? Or I mean, you... I I use um, I mean, so the the kind of type is Agnostura bitters. Agnostura bitters, as opposed to an orange or another like kind of bitters, is the most important thing. There's a bunch of different kinds out there, and they're all slightly different, but they're they're all pretty tasty. And the good thing about this drink is that you get to try those. So that's my go-to. That being said, I also am pretty partial to Dark and Stormies because they have them everywhere now, and ginger beer is awesome. That's true. I do like ginger beer. So ginger beer and, and dark rum and a lime is a pretty easy drink, and it's hard yeah. to screw up, and right. it's very good. <laughs> And Jeff, what do you like to drink when we're when other people are drinking alcohol if you're not a big fan of the alcohol thing? Uh, depends on whether I'm at a bar or whether we're recording a podcast. <laughs> well, let, let's say we're at a bar. <laughs> I have a soft drink. Good story. Sorry. <laughs> okay, well, let's say we're recording a podcast. I drink yeah, What are water. we all drinking now? I'm drinking water right now. <laughs> Here. Uh, you're so much fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's hey, fine. People appreciate the designated driver. You know what? That's sometimes. probably true. Nat and I are going to raise our, our glasses to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Nat, what are, what are you drinking as we as we podcast? Well, I, I already finished it a while ago. The podcast has been on for a while, but I had a, um, it was a chicory stout from Dogfish Head Brewery. 
that was brought to me by Abe Corson when he stayed uh, at our house for um, Star City Columbus. So I had that, and I dropped a shot of bourbon into it, Four Roses bourbon. So, so it would be a depth charge of sorts. <laughs> Boilermaker. <laughs> because, because the alcohol in beer just isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> and Jake? Well, I was having, again, I, I finished because I was drinking it at the beginning of the podcast, but um, I had a drink of my own creation because I'm actually out of dark rum, but I have um, ginger beer. I actually made ginger syrup uh, about a week ago, so I've been using, I've been making my own, you know, ginger beer drinks, and I did that with Bullet Single Barrel Rye, which I had from making Old Fashions, and I really wanted to try some of the ginger beer, and I figured... I wanted that a, a dark liquor, so let's try the rye. It was actually pretty good. I was surprised. It came out a lot better than I expected. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. I'm sure the... Uh, actually, I, I bet the ginger beer covers up a lot of <laughs> any uh, any harshness in the... That's true, but I, I mean, I alcohol like... alcohol with its own harshness. Yeah. I, I like the, um, the bullet single barrel rye a lot. Mm-hmm. If I'm making a mixed drink with whiskey, or with a kind of whiskey, that's the way I like to go is with a rye. Okay. They don't kind of overwhelm me with sweetness like bourbon does, and it's a good flavor. It still has a lot of that interesting kind of smoky flavor. Sounds fantastic. Well, it's happened again. You've wasted another perfectly good hour listening to Serious Vintage. I'm Jeff Mose. I'm Nat Mose. And I'm Jake Hilty. And we hope you'll join us next time for more Serious Vintage. Take a little trip, take a little trip, take a little trip and see. Take a little trip, take a little trip, take a little trip with me. So we're all going to be pitching tents at Gen Con all over the place. <laughs> <laughs>